Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. Today, we've got an Ole Miss Mississippi State Series preview with the longtime friend of mine, John Gathings, been around Mississippi State Athletics for a long time. We've been talking about hopping on uh, the podcast for a while and decided to give it before a uh, try before the baseball series. So someone I would definitely consider in the know when it comes to Mississippi State Athletics. So we discussed this weekend series and the state of the two programs, really more so the state of Mississippi State baseball, because as you most of you listeners know by now, you've seen what uh, how Ole Miss got to where they are. So we talked a lot of uh, what has happened since the 2021 national title for Mississippi State, Chris Limonis's outlook, and what to expect this weekend as an important series is going down in Starkville, but not for the reasons that any of us probably thought it was. And then we got to some football stuff at the very end so i think you'll enjoy the conversation a little mississippi state check in here mid-spring um before we get to that though i wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked so the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry if you're into wagering check them out you got nba playoffs coming up maybe you're into baseball uh skybox nascar is crushing it right now if you're into wagering you need to use their picks package the only way to pro- profit in the long run all you have to do is go online skyboxsportspicks.com use the promo code rippy That'll be R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all sports, sports-centric. Build up your bankroll for football season. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it is a 16, or it's three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets. For 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation. You're getting there for 20 bucks. Then go find all your own favorites. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world, a staple of the Oxford community. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's John Gathings on the state of Mississippi State baseball. All right, we now welcome on longtime friend of mine. I don't know what to call you, Mississippi State super fan, uh, insider. I, you 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 ne- neglected the podcast uh, reporter life. I don't know. Maybe it's just because you don't want to be rich and famous because we make so much great money in this industry. But it is John Gathings, longtime Mississippi State fan. How are you, my friend? I'm glad we finally got to do this. Good, man. How are you? It's, uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast, man. I've actually uh, I listened to your podcast a pretty good bit, pretty often. I know a lot of Ole Miss fans are going to say, you know, why the hell is a state fan listening to all this podcast? But look, man, it's the – it's it's the real deal. Uh, it's super entertaining and uh, glad to find be on here, man. Man, I appreciate it, dude. It goes both ways. Like old old Miss people listen to state podcasts, and they no one likes to admit they do. But uh, the SoundCloud numbers don't lie when they uh, rank your markets by city. Like st- we've got some Starkville listeners, <laughs> we've got some state fans for sure. It's part of what makes it fun. I'll tune into Hey Dad's podcast. Uh, you know, every now and again when I'm on the road or something like that, it's what makes it fun. And then you, if I'm not mistaken have actually heard the uh, first-hand version of this shit show a couple of times because didn't you live with Buchanan for a bit? Do you still live with him? You got to hear us record live, which I'm sure was just a life yes. experience. No, that's exactly right. So I guess you had him on the fall good bit, and, uh, yeah, we're roommates over in Jackson. And so, yeah, I'd pour beer, sit on the couch, and listen to you two talk about Ole Miss football. It was actually a really good way to spend, uh, spend a Tuesday night, you know? Yeah, I'm sure there's nothing else you'd rather be doing. So I wonder, when we talked about this, you were in Oxford about 
I don't know, it's probably over a month ago at this point. And I was like, dude, Mississippi State Ole Miss Baseball Weekend. Let's do this podcast. You talk about you'd had some interest in it. Yeah, I definitely consider you as someone in the know on the state side for sure. Not that it takes a ton of qualifications to become a podcaster. I think I'd be evidence A and B of that. But I was like, let's do it. Let's talk about it. At the time, you probably figured because of the way state started the year that you might not have a ton of great things to say about the state program. What I probably didn't know at the time is the utter dumpster fire that the state of both programs would be in by the time we recorded this. We'll start here. Most of my listeners have watched until their eyes bled and understand what is happening to Ole Miss and why it is happening. This is a broad question, but take it any which way you want to. How has state gotten to the point that they've gotten to? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think you obviously got to start with the struggles on the mound. Um, that's it's pretty glaring at this point. Um, you know, it starts on the mound and then it carries over to defense. Um, you know, I think we're last in the SEC in defense, um, lead the league in errors, and then obviously on the mound, it's just been, you know, one problem after another. Guys who just can't throw strikes, um, we're giving up too many free bases and all that, and that leads to just massive these large massive innings. Um, so it's really hard to to kind of figure out what happened. Um, I mean, coming into the year, you know, they put Lamonis and Foxhole put a huge emphasis on the transport portal. Um, we've had a lot of new faces this year on the mound and, and guys that are very talented. Um, you know, I mean, we'll start with Nate Dome, who's probably our, you know, I'd say he's probably our best arm, uh, the transfer from Ball State. Um, you know, he's, he's been a really good guy for us. He's been pretty consistent. Uh, he's been on the rotation, uh, you know, on, on the weekend as well as in the bullpen. But I, I would say guys, just they're, they're struggling to throw strikes. And, um, you know, when that happens in SEC, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, top five teams are going to make you pay for it. Yeah, they really are. And one of the things that's fascinating to me about this is Ole Miss and State are similar in the like that it seems like there's been back-to-back years now where they – well, State, I, say, I take that back. From the Ole Miss side, it's been back-to-back years where they haven't had a dude on Friday. Um, you know, in 2021, Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy both departed the program during the same year. And you knew it was going to be a little bit of a struggle pitching wise. I don't think anyone would have predicted what a struggle it was for the first couple months until somehow Dylan Dilution, Hunter Elliott just became gods for the last two and a half months of the season and took them to a national title. But there was no clear cut number one guy. And I was about to say they're similar in that, but State actually had that in Landon Sims. Unfortunately for, honestly, just college baseball fans in general, we didn't get to see a ton of that because he got injured early in the year last year. But one of the things I remember thinking when I saw, I watched State's uh, first and second game of the year against whatever school they played in a little bit of the Arizona State series, I wondered how the rotation had gotten to the point that it gotten to and not having like real dudes that you knew you could count on, let alone a Friday night guy. I didn't even know who the Saturday guy was. I guess to package that into a semi-simple question, is that been surprising for state people? It didn't seem like they had anyone that you could count on to be an anchor of a starter on Friday or Saturday nights in the SEC. Oh man, that's been a huge, that should have been a huge problem from, from the start. Um, and you know, a lot of state fans are asking the question, how does this happen? Um, you know, like you said, last year, you have a bona fide ace in, in Landon Sims that gets hurt for the year. Um, you obviously know you're going to struggle at that point, but this year, um, there's really no excuse to not have just an absolute baller on Friday nights. Um, and right now, you know, I guess coming into the season, Cade Smith was the Friday night guy. Um, Cade is a, is a very solid SEC pitcher. 
Uh, he's definitely a weekend rotation guy, but he's not a bona fide ace, uh, if you will, on Friday nights. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's really been the problem. I mean, the weekend rotation's been a circus really all year long. I mean, it's here we are mid-April, and we still don't have a defined weekend rotation. Um, and, and Cade, obviously, he's, he's been he's had some injuries this year. He's been out for, I don't know, the better part of a month, a month and a half. He's just now been back in action the last two weeks. Um, and he only went three innings, I think, last weekend at Alabama. But this is probably the first weekend he'll be back full strength. I would expect him to start Friday night. Um, but you're right, man. It's all about, in this league, it's about having that, that guy on Friday night that can go get you a W. Uh, save your bullpen for the rest of the weekend. And, and State has not had that now for, for two years. And one of the things that it was Ole Miss's saving grace last year, it was it was an uncharacteristically down year from a frontline starting pitching standpoint in the SEC, which I think allowed them to weather the storm a little bit until they figured out, hey, Dylan DeLucia guy is pretty good. And then Hunter Elliott doing what he did as a freshman is still one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in college baseball because you had kids way more talented than him. I mean, I, I remember Gunnar Hoagland was ridiculously bad as a freshman and turned into an incredible pitcher. They're dealing with the same thing with Grayson Sonier right now. He's a good, I still believe he's going to be a very good and probably a Friday night guy in the Southeastern Conference, but it's different as a true freshman. But this year is not, that's not the case. I mean, from Paul Skeens to, I know Arkansas lost Wiggins, but I mean, look around the Southeastern Conference, the two dudes at Tennessee, there's that frontline starting pitching was just a one year or a lack thereof was just kind of a one year, I would say, uh, misnomer. So now if you don't really have that kind of guy, you're really at a disadvantage. And Ole Miss got an early taste of that in conference play because Jack Doherty's performing about as admirably as he possibly could. He is not a Friday night guy. He's not designed to be a Friday night guy. He's playing a role he shouldn't have to fill in place of Hunter Elliott. But then you roll him out against Vanderbilt or Florida or, I don't know, LSU when Schemes comes into town and you're like, man, like we're at a disadvantage on Friday and it's not like you're at a huge advantage on Saturday and Sunday. And so I guess like to throw that back to the state angle of it is you knew there probably wasn't a typical Friday guy. And there's been years where Ole Miss has gotten away with that. Will Etheridge is a Friday guy for Ole Miss one year. And he wasn't a great dominant arm, but you had a freshman Ryan Rollison on Sunday and a pretty good starter whose name is escaping me now on Saturday, so you could kind of pat it. But it didn't feel like State had that either. I mean, they were they were throwing the uh, ambidextrous freshman on the weekend within a week or two in the season, right? Like, it's not just the Friday guy. They yeah. didn't really have any rotation depth at all. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and I think you're, you're referring to Durangelo Sinche, who is, let me just say, he is a special, special talent. He's a um, ton of fun to watch. Yeah, he, it's not a gimmick, man. He's he's legit from from the right side and the left side. Um, but but you're exactly right. I mean, you can't count on an 18 year old freshman to be your Friday night guy. And I, and I get it. He's filling in for K, but he's still. I mean, he's been our Saturday guy. You know, since really for the majority of the season, and he'll probably be in the rotation um, this weekend as well. But he's really just kind of hit that freshman wall, I think, in conference play. Um, which is obviously expected. Um, but but again, it, it falls on the coaching staff. I mean, you can't be in this position after going nine and twenty-one last year in the SEC. Uh, you, you can't follow that up with a with a situation where you still don't have a bona fide ace and you don't really have a robot reliable um rotation. So it's it's a problem and it's a big reason why, you know, we're three and nine. Was that a concern from a fan base perspective going into the year, or was it a shock that no one like was it a shock that the initial rotation on opening day didn't work out, or was that kind of confirming what you already knew? It was definitely the biggest question mark, I think, coming into the year. But I think most state fans would tell you that 
look, we hit the portal hard. Uh, we brought in a lot of guys that are talented that have, that have had success before at other schools. Um, so everybody was kind of cautiously optimistic, I would say, coming into it. Um, and I would say that Lamonis and Foxhall have really put an emphasis on guys that, you know, heavy velocity, heavy spin rate. It's, it's a lot of that. Um, and I would say it's less just eye test. I mean, can this guy pitch? I mean, is he scared of the moment? Can he go out there on a weekend and, and throw in front of 15,000 people? Um, that's kind of what we had, you know, back in 2021, it just some guys that just were ballers and they could get out there and they weren't scared of the moment and they were going to make you beat them at the plate. Now it's just walking guys on four pitches. We're not even competitive in the strike zone. Um, and, and you look up and you're just handing out three bases and next thing you know, you've been up a five or six run spot in, in the inning and, and you're already on the way to getting run rolled again. So it's, uh, all that being said, yes, I would say it was, um, a concern coming in, but I, I don't think any Statham would would told you would tell you that they you know it should have been this bad. Obviously, and I was watching. I was with my dad over the weekend, and we went to the Ole Miss baseball game on Saturday, where they pissed away another opportunity to take a series. And then we were sitting at Funkies, and State was playing Alabama. And selfishly, for the sake of this podcast, I was like, they started. They took a lead in the later innings. I was like, no, 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 no. I need them to lose. Like, I need both teams to be two and ten and in complete disarray <laughs> to this podcast at this point. But they kind of figured something out. I don't want to get to that in a second. But I, I, I like the gauging of the fan base angle because you're pretty good at gauging the temperature of state's fan base. You win the national title in twenty one. Ole Miss obviously wins it the next year, so you can like Ole Miss fans are still kind of riding the oh well, we just won the twenty twenty to national title high. I imagine as bad as last year was for state, that was mostly just, okay, whatever, some injuries, we won the national title, that type of thing. When did you sense that starting to fade? Like how quickly was it the start of this year? Was it before that? When did you start sensing that, uh, I'll call it emotional capital amongst the fan base that was built up from winning a title starting to fade? Because this is one of the rougher stretches Mississippi State baseball has had in a program in a long time. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I would say that, that, that you know, it's full-blown panic mode at this point. Like you said, I mean, last year, 9-21, and 21, after winning the national championship, you're going to give them a free pass, right? I mean, <laughs> neither school has won a national championship before. Like, you know, that's just the way it works. Um, but to come out this year and, and lay another egg like this, it's um, it's got a lot of people really upset. And as you know, it's the same way in Oxford. There's a lot of pride when it comes to baseball in this state. Um and I know, I know we feel this way, but, you know, we hold baseball to a higher standard. Um, obviously, you know, you win eight games in football, you're usually happy. You make the tournament every now and then in basketball, you're pretty happy. Baseball, I think both programs would agree you should be competing at the highest level year in, year out. I mean, just look at our stadiums, look at the attendance, look at um, just the investments that we make into the baseball program. Um, and you come out here and now you're on the verge of missing Hoover for the second year in a row following a national championship, it's totally unacceptable. And I, I you know, I'm not the guy that's going to come on here and say fire Lamonis, fire Lamonis, you know, clean house, but it's, um, if this thing continues, you know, I think where we're probably headed, which is probably going to be, you know, maybe, maybe you make Hoover, I don't know, but you're probably going to miss the tournament. Um, you got to really sit down and start asking some serious questions. I mean, is this program turning in the right direction? And, um, I, I would say at this juncture of the season, it's fair to say that there will be changes after the year uh, and what capacity we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but you're not going to be able to survive two years of, of doing this and, and missing the postseason. Um, whether that's, you know, changes to the assistant coaching staff and all that, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pride, man, and this is totally unacceptable. And I think every state fan will tell you that. 
Have you been to a bunch of games this year? I'm just curious, like what the stadium has been like, as you mentioned the investment in college baseball. And I agree. I mean, Ole Miss and state kind of pride themselves on both programs and expect to be competitive every year. What has the stadium been like two years removed from the title? Um, you know, having Vanderbilt, you know, drop 26 runs or whatever in there. I, I'm just curious, like from an Ole Miss perspective, they haven't gotten absolutely like blown out in any games. They've just been consistently bad and consistently squandered opportunities. So the stadium has been like, I would say invested in most of the games and not like shell shocked by any degree, but it's almost like a collective eye roll when they figure out that they can't get enough outs at the bullpen in the later innings. But state has had some pretty rough home results. What has that environment been like? Is it be, I mean, you've been going to games for, I don't know, probably since you were born. Is it any different than you've ever seen? I just have to imagine there's an element of shell shock amongst the, you know, 12, 13,000, 15,000 people there on a given weekend when Vanderbilt, you know, hits the 20 run mark. Yeah, you can definitely tell a difference. And unfortunately, yes, I have been there for most of the, the run rules this year. And I had to sit to the Vandy 26-4 game. Uh, thankfully, I had, you know, some cocktails that got me through it. But um, no, it's definitely a little bit different. It's, um, you know, you can just kind of tell fans are restless. You know, we're not, we're not at the point where it's, you know, it's a bunch of boo birds, but um, but now that you say that, I mean, you know, South Carolina, we've played Vandy and South Carolina at home already. And we had, you know, probably 12, 13,000 people there on Saturday. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, fans are restless and, and very frustrated, but they're still coming to games. I mean, you know, it's, you know, season tickets are not cheap these days. So, I mean, you're going to come watch your team play. Uh, unfortunately for state, it's just been watching a really bad, a lot, a lot of bad baseball. Um, and this, this weekend, actually, I saw a tweet, um, earlier today i think they've already sold twenty thousand tickets for saturday so uh i mean place is going to be packed again this weekend obviously with super bowl weekend and all that but um you're right i mean the product of the field has been just totally unacceptable um and i think it has a lot of people very very upset this has proven to me that attendance will probably with both programs never wane unless you suck for like five years in a row because it becomes a bigger like social event. Like people are not just going to stop coming to Oxford and Starkville in the spring um, and, you know, kind of planning their, like it's a, it's a, Hey, we're still going to go to the series where they suck or not. Like, I think that's proof of concept that like, yes, everyone wants to win. Yes. They pride themselves on it, but this is a big social event in two very nice ballparks. So like, I think you'd have to really, really suck for a long time for attendance to start waning, but it's interesting. So we've had all this happen. Ole Miss is now two and 10, which Mike's, you know, it's crazy. Mike has had some teams. His whole thing used to be like, Hey, you know, they didn't haven't gotten it done in the postseason, but his regular season team, like they never suck. They're always competitive. States had a little more ups and downs with their programs. Like that year they went worst to first and stuff like that. Mike's teams never suck. They're not always great, but they never suck. Now you've had about a year and a half of them really not being a good program in the regular season, which is kind of jarring to some folks from a state perspective. I didn't think going into the year that even if state was bad again, I was like, they're not going to actually fire this guy two years removed from a national title. But I felt like after that Vanderbilt series, the talk, like the, the idea of it started to get very real. And I don't think that's just because they were losing games. A lot of what has happened in the capital of Lamonis has lost is the manner that they lost them, right? It's not just that they're losing games. It's the non-competitive aspect. 100%. Uh, you, you nailed that. It's, it's, it's the fact that we have at least one game every weekend where we just get blown out and run ruled. It's, 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 it's the, you know, the fashion in which they're losing. They're not competing on the mounds. Um, and I, I mean, we've had at least one of those games every single, just about every single SEC weekend where it just totally gets away from us. Um, whereas on the flip side, man, I, 
you know, I haven't watched a lot of Ole Miss baseball this year, but the, the games that I have, you know, watched, I mean, you guys are extremely competitive. And I mean, you know, like I watched game three of the Arkansas game last, last weekend and, you know, could have gone either way. Um, and so I feel like, you know, you're, you're two and 10, but you're, I still don't feel, I feel like you're that bad of a baseball team. I mean, you're, you're competing and on the flip side with us, it's man, I mean, Saturday, or I guess whatever it was Friday night at, at Alabama last weekend. I mean, the game just completely got away another run rule, um, our third of the SEC season. And it's just, the, it's just the way we keep losing games. Where we're not even competing. Um, and, and of course the Vandy debacle as well. And, that's what kind of has everybody on edge. I mean, it's it's like what what is going on here to the point where we are just having these games where we get run rolled in SEC play. It's never happened before. Um, and so look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, obviously, you know, it's easy for me to say, but I mean, Lamonas is is definitely feeling some pressure. I feel like this year, um, Foxall, I, I really don't, I mean, I hate to even say this, but I don't know why he's, he's got to have a for sale sign yard, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I would think he's got multiple in the yard by this point, but I mean, he's, you know, and a lot of people have said, look, you can't fire a pitching coach mid year because um, obviously, you know, he calls pitches and there's really nobody on the staff that's qualified to do all that. Well, hell you can't do much worse than what he's done. So, I mean, try something, change it up a little bit, but, um, I, I would, I would say that, you know, it's going to be an interesting month and a half, um, to, to finish the rest of the season and kind of see how this thing all unfolds because yes, you do have a first year athlete director. Um, you know, I highly doubt the last thing that, that Zach Selman thought he was going to have to do would, would be to fire a baseball coach that just won a national championship two years ago. Um, and so I just, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I, there's probably a lot of factors at play on, on all this, but I would I would still say that it's safe to assume there are going to be changes after this year in some capacity. Yeah, I can't imagine like Selman's taking the gig. The guy might not even have like his name played up in front of his office. Then he's like, oh yeah, now you're going to have to go hire and fire a baseball coach. Like, I mean, earn your paycheck, pal. I guess like I, I don't I don't envy them in some ways, but I also don't feel bad for them because of what they get paid to make those type of decisions. But it is crazy how that's happened and have you said so one of the things that's interesting is Lamonis and I've watched a lot of a few of his press conferences this year and there was one after it was I think that was after they lost the series to South Carolina where they they played pretty well in that second game and then it just didn't go very I think there was that game on Saturday or Sunday was a close game and the ninth inning just blew up in their face but he was as frustrated and as like as animated as I've ever seen him. And even going back to when I was still working at Super Talking as a reporter, he was about as laid back and as even keel a dude as uh, as you could find. He, they would all do a spot like him and Bianco and Scott Barry would do a Monday spot on the show every day. And like whether State got swept, swept, or one, two out of three, lost out of three, he sounded the same. He kind of acted the same. Like there was really no difference in his demeanor. I noticed a bit of a change in his demeanor. He seemed very frustrated. He seemed a little bit more emotional. He was clearly eating at him what was happening. And it's interesting to me because he took over a program that was in incredible health. I know people love to make the Gene Chizik, Ed Orsron comparisons. I'm not <laughs> saying they're right or wrong. I don't think the guy's a total dunce and forgot how to coach baseball. But he did inherit a very sturdy ship that was in great shape. And now all of that infrastructure is kind of eroding around him. Have you noticed a different um, Chris Lamonis than in any time he's been the coach, you know, since he got here? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned the South Carolina series that Friday night, I believe, um, 
is the game he got tossed. And I think a lot of state fans would tell you that was kind of an attempt to, to get everybody rolling in the dugout. Uh, it didn't work, obviously. But, um, no, I think you're exactly right. He's normally a pretty even-skilled guy in the dugout. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Um, and, and you can definitely tell the frustrations probably just reached a bowling point. Um, and, look, Chris Lamonis is a very good baseball coach. I will I will be the first one to say it. I've, I have been critical of him this year, but I'm, the guy knows how to coach baseball. You don't win a national championship not knowing how to coach baseball. I think a lot of frustration, and I guess the big question comes back to recruiting. Um, we've definitely had some missed evaluations here the last two years. And, and the player development of guys that have been here is just, it, it's kind of been lacking. Um, and just basic fundamental baseball, you know, I mean, bunt defense, first and third defense. I mean, we, we have been a disaster throwing runners out, stealing bases this year. Um, I think we're obviously dead last in the league in that too, dead last in the league in errors. Um, we're just not a very fundamentally sound baseball team. And it's just, it makes you wonder and, and question kind of some of the things as far as, just development in the program right now. Um, but like I said, look, man, it's going to be an interesting finish of the year. This is kind of a series. Uh, it's, well, obviously it's a big series for both teams. Um, but, you know, you come out this weekend and, and you, you lose two out of three or even get swept full enough. I mean, it's this thing really gets dicey here towards the end. But on the flip side, you know, you come out, you win a series. Um, you know, I, I will say we're playing our best baseball right now that we have all year long. Um, we've been pitching it a little bit better, even against UAB last night in the midweek, obviously in Tuscaloosa last weekend. But it's you can't understate, this is a massive, massive series for, for both teams. Is the Antolimonis argument, and I'm really just making it up on the fly here, but like if you were like a huge Antolimonis guy, is the is it the fact that he doesn't have a ton of – he has no experience coaching in the Southeastern Conference as an assistant – and then, look, you get Indiana to a regional three out of four years. Like, no one, no one's knocking that by any stretch of the imagination. That's not exactly a baseball powerhouse. But he did replace the guy that took them to Omaha with Schwarber and all that. So he was kind of the guy after the guy. Like, is that the anti-Lamona's argument? Like, in terms of, you mentioned recruiting, missed evaluations. From a state fan's perspective, what is, like, keeps them up at night in terms of not actually having faith in a guy that won a national title, which seems insane to say, but, hey, it's a question. I mean, it's a reasonable question at this point. Like, what is the biggest, like, potential, uh, I'm not sure this guy has it type of thing, if that makes any sense? Yeah, I think I think a lot of state fans would tell you that, you know, when Lamontis got here, he inherited a gold mine of talent. I mean, Andy Kenazaro, say what you want to about the guy, uh, he could recruit. and Yes, he uh, could he in multiple really ways. Job. <laughs> that's right i was waiting on you to to make the comment there i set that one up pretty good but um no he uh he he did a really good job bringing in talent i mean lamonis walked in and had jake mangum you know tanner allen rowdy jordan on his roster um and just rode that wave all the way to omaha um he, you know he comes in goes to omaha his first year we're thinking okay um obviously really impressive job and it's 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 now you know when he has to build a roster himself it, it just seems that they are glaring weaknesses throughout our lineup and, and our roster. Um, you've just got guys on, on the mound that, quite frankly, are not SEC pitchers. Um, it was that way last year, too. He obviously cleaned house last year, um, majority of the pitching staff, and brought in, obviously, a, a lot of guys out of the transport portal. But, look, it's been the same thing. I mean, it's been, you know, Aaron Nixon, our, he's the guy that the transferred from Texas. He was very highly coveted out of the transport portal. Um, He's pitched seven innings on the year. And granted, he has been banged up, you know, several weeks. 
and he's just now kind of getting back into the swingy thing, but he was very highly sought after. Um, same with Nate Dome, who actually has been by far our best pitcher. Um, but, I mean, we have guys – we have very talented guys. I mean, we have, you know, five or six guys in the bullpen that are 95, 94, 95 plus, but they can't throw strikes. And it, it just makes you wonder kind of what – you know, Fox, Soul, and Lamonis have, have put a major emphasis on the metrics, like I said, with the velocity and the spin rate and all that. But it's just guys that are not competing. And that's really the biggest question I think a lot of state fans have is what is our recruiting philosophy? I mean, is it – are we not relying, you know, on the eye test enough? I mean, look at baseball, man. It's, a, it's just a bunch of dirtbags out there playing ball. And um, we seem to, to not really have, you know, a, a vocal leader in the clubhouse. Um, I mean, Tanner Allen, Jake Mangum, those guys are alphas. Um, they're, they obviously, you know, commanded the clubhouse. They took control of the team, and, and they really just went out there and found, found ways to win. We don't have that this year. I mean, we, had, we didn't have it last year either. Uh, it's just a lot of guys, they're not very vocal. Um, I mean, Luke Hancock is your captain, and, you know, he's about as even kill as it gets. Um, and so, I, you know, I just – we're lacking a lot of leadership in the clubhouse. And then you, when you combine that with just guys that, quite frankly, aren't SEC caliber players, well, you look up and we're three and nine again, you know. Yeah, and what's crazy about that is it, t- it takes me back to the, uh, to the. Um, oh God, I'm blanking on the name. The, who did, uh, who who did it the most replace the texting in the dugout guy? How am I doing this on a live podcast right now? Uh, Andy Canazzaro. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. So that guy. So when Saint hired him and uh, Cohen stepped to the side. That guy was like a, the closest thing to like a superstar in the making, like coach that college baseball has seen in a while. And one of the things that's interesting to me about that is we talk in the recruiting aspect of it. The two coaching searches are fascinating to me. I don't pretend to remember everything about state's coaching search to replace Cohen um, detail to detail because that was a long time ago. I was in college or we were in college. And like it was just, I don't know, I wasn't that in tune to it. Whereas it felt like state not struck out on a couple options, but I wouldn't say Lamontis was their first choice. Whereas for all of Canizaro's faults and not having a great head on his shoulders and the cell phone incident and all that stuff is you knew that guy was going to get dudes. He was going to recruit and he was going to put on a winning product. And I don't feel like that was as much as a certainty as it was with Lamontis. Like, is that fair to say at all that like the Canizaro hire when they hired him was a little bit bigger of a home run than when they actually hired the Monis? Is that fair at all? I'm honestly just asking, like I'm, I'm grasping at straws here guessing. No. No, I think you're, you're spot on there. I mean, Andy Canzaro was, was John Cohen's number one choice. And it was really weird. Like, you know, when he was announced as, as AD, there was no coaching search. He just hired. I mean, Canzaro was hired with like, you know. I was going to say, that didn't last very long. There was no, wait, wait, who no. did they get hired? It happened almost immediately. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously that was his number one target. And look, he was a hot commodity at LSU, you know, the hitting coach there did a really good job, was considered probably a top assistant in college baseball. And, um, Look, man, he had this thing rolling. Um, he, he was recruiting very well. He took that team to a, to a super regional that, quite frankly, had no business even being probably in a regional. Um, things were turning the right way. And then, but you, yeah, you're right also, you know, with the Lamona's coaching search, the, the second go around, you know, Jim Schlossnagel was obviously was, was high up on the list. So was, you know, Dan McDonald. Um, yeah, I think we even kicked the tires on Tim Tadlock at Texas Tech, which that guy's, you know, never going to leave there. Um, but you're right. I mean, Lamonis was definitely, you know, option three or four. And, you know, I mean, coming into it, look, the guy had won in Indiana. I mean, it, you know, he, it was hard early to say, question to hire. But 
you know, Cohen definitely swung for the fences that go around and, and we, we kind of landed on Lamonis. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. It's very interesting. Just kind of the contrast between those two coaching searches. It really is. And I, for all of my, for all of Kansas Falls, I'll never forget. I was uh, an intern my senior year of college, 2017 at D1 baseball and state came into Oxford and swept Ole Miss when they had just been decimated with pitching injuries. I mean, there's a kid named Riley self who came back and just shoved it up Ole Miss's ass um on that Friday night game and so D1 wanted me to do a story on state's pitching despite all of their injuries so like after Ole Miss's post game I wander over there and I'm like all right I need to talk to Lamonis and the SID was like looking at me like who the hell are you kid and then I like, kind of flashed the D1 baseball credibility <laughs> and they're like oh yeah well he'll talk to you then I was like wow shocker but like he talked to me so we sat down like on the tarp on like the first base side at the time because that was the away dugout and he talked to me for like 20 minutes and could not have been happier and like thanked me after the fact. And I was like, I love this guy. This is a stand-up dude. And then like nine months later, I was like, oh shit, maybe this guy wasn't such a stand-up dude. But he was very personable. And I know that was a way sidebar, but for the time he was there, state fans had to love that guy. Like on the surface, he seemed like a very personable, outgoing dude. Like he was like a superstar on the surface. And then he just peeled back the curtain and you're like, oh God, what does this guy actually have going on? Oh, yeah. No, he's a super likable guy, obviously, and that's why he was such a good recruiter, I would say. But, um, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. He was he was very likable. He was recruiting very well. We felt really good about the program, and then, boom, just like that, you know, he's gone. He's texting in the dugout and uh, spent too much time on Twitter and all that. But, um, look, man, it's uh, it's funny how it, all, how it all plays out. And then, you know, that year also is when um, Gary Henderson was our pitching coach who got who obviously got promoted to interim coach. Um, and then he took us all the way to Omaha that year. And so you had a lot of state fans that were just like, Hey, just promote, you know, Gary Henderson to the head coach. And we're like, no, 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 you can't do that. So, um, but still, that was a really fun year. Just a lot of uh, highs and lows with that group. But, um, yeah, all in all, uh, pretty good year. Last thing, and I sort of got, I'm going to get to out of the actual series is you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to get to this talking about kind of the alphas in the clubhouse, and state for, I would say, the better part of the last decade has had that in spades. Um, you know, they have, they are honestly on a historically dominant run over Ole Miss. Ole Miss has not won a series against Mississippi State since 2015. Um, I forget what the record is, like 19 and four, something like that o- over the last seven to eight years, which is honestly almost a statistical anomaly. If you look at the Bianco's teams and how consistent they are in the regular season, the fact that they literally just cannot beat Mississippi State is sort of mind blowing. But I remember writing through the last few years as state has continued to dominate this in-state series is you, there's no like numbers angle to play or that state has a better team every single year, or like there's no definitive angle to play. So a lot of times like guys like chasing myself with default on is Ole Miss just has a bunch of nice kids and state has a bunch of assholes. Like, and I mean that in a complimentary (laughs) way, Jake Mangum, uh, Tanner Allen, or Rowdy Jordan in his own way, they used to have all of that in spades and they kind of had that intangible alpha. I think you described it as dirtbag earlier, which I think is a great way to describe it mentality that Ole Miss just didn't really have enough of for a lot of those years in the last seven to eight years when state has dominated this series. And what's interesting now is state does not seemingly have that. And I, I don't know how to, like, this is an impossible question to answer, but I wonder, like, why that is. Like, do you tie that into the recruiting? Like, do, it, you know, obviously they're trying to recruit talented kids, but there are certain intangibles there. Like, is that part of the recruiting right with Lamonis that there are no alphas? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something you have to factor in recruiting, obviously. And look, there's there's a lot of really good kids on here that are probably, you know, really good leaders. They're just not vocal. And sometimes in baseball, you just got to have that guy, you know, get in front of everybody and, and get after him uh, just to get the dugout going a little bit. But, um, yeah, we don't have that. And we didn't have it last year. And, um, you know, again, I mean, Luke Hancock's your, your, your captain. He's been here, I think, feels like 10 years now. Um, but he's just not really a vocal guy. And, and um I think you have to attribute some of that to, to what's happened the last two years. I mean, it's it, at times I've watched us this year and just said, there's no life in the dugout. I mean, you know, there's, there's no clapping, there's no, you know, noise or anything like that. It's just, it's just kind of dead. And um, yeah, it, it, it definitely, you know, there's no Tanner Allen's, no Jake Mangum's, no Rowdy Jordan's in that dugout. And I think you kind of have to attribute some of that to kind of what's happened. As we get into the series this weekend, State's coming off a very important road series win at Alabama. And it's like kind of like laughable to say in some ways. It's like, hey, they won two out of three to get to three and nine. But Ole Miss was in the same boat. I mean, Colin and I were on the podcast a uh, week before last. It was like, look, this is real bad. But if you can somehow beat Arkansas, get to three and nine, take two or three out of state, you get Hunter Elliott back, presumably for LSU. You could see a path despite what the record is. I, you know, again, this a podcast would have almost made more sense if State had just lost, gotten swept or lost two out of three there. But I'll start here. Is there any sense of any sort of budding optimism that State did go on the road and beat what I think is a pretty good Alabama team that I can't really figure out? Like, I don't understand why they have yet to win an SEC series. It's making me think they're the Kentucky football of baseball where it's like, oh, they're better this year. And it's like, well, actually, they don't really beat anybody. I thought they were actually going to be pretty good this year. I still think they're kind of good. Point being, is there any sort of cautious optimism after taking a series on the road like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, I mean, State's playing their best baseball they have all year long right now. I think, you know, if you told us, you know, going into last weekend, we we, would win that series. I'd say, well, you're crazy. I mean, we haven't played well at all on the road. I mean, pitching on the road. And like you said, bam, I can't figure them out either. I don't really know what's going on with, with Bo Hannon. It seems like he's probably on the hot seat this year, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you have to take positives and be optimistic coming in, coming into this weekend after winning a road series like that. It's our first, you know, series win of the year in the in SEC play. And so, um, yeah, look, I think, I think, I think state feels really good right now. They went on the road and, and to Birmingham last night and beat a, a pretty solid, you know, a UAB team. Um, so, yeah, I would say there's a lot of optimism right now in, in the dugout, and, and fans are feeling a lot better right now, too, just with the way we played last weekend. Uh, but, you know, we pitched it a lot better last weekend. Um, obviously, the offense is really coming alive right now. I, I would say it's the one thing that, you know, you, you, it'd be hard to really criticize is our offense. I think we're fourth in the league uh, in offense, sitting about 305, which obviously you'll take that any day in the SEC. Um it just really makes it hard to believe. I mean, if we had a competent pitching staff and we were able to, you know, obviously have a, have, you know, better defense and all that, we'd, we'd be on track to have a pretty good year, but it's just, it's, it's the flaws on the, on the mound that have really cost us. You mentioned state having their, the playing their best baseball right now. Obviously they go over there and take that series over the weekend. Well, for just for people who don't follow state baseball as closely, was there any sort of tactical changes that led to that? Like, did they do anything pitching wise? They do anything lineup wise. They're like, okay, they figured something out here. Like, why do you think they're playing their best baseball? Has there been any lineup moves that you think, okay, this makes a little more sense. Well, I will say on the mound, uh, they moved Nate Dome back to the bullpen last weekend. He's kind of been in and out of the rotation, obviously, while Cade Smith was out. 
And Dome is, like I say, he's our best. He's our best arm. He's our high leverage guy out of, out of the pen or whatever. I mean, he's 96, 97 with a pretty solid slider and changeup. Um, so they saved him for Sunday or Saturday. I forget whatever day it was, but game three of the series, regardless. Um, Landon Gartman was our game three starter, and he gave us five, and then Dome came in and shut everybody down. Uh, I think that's, that was probably the biggest change is moving him back to the bullpen. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see what they do this weekend just because Durangelo has really struggled his last few outings. Um, we've got a guy named Bradley Lofton who is a freshman left-hander who is really impressive too. He's 94, 95 uh, from the left-handed side, and he's been coming out of the bullpen too. But I wouldn't be surprised maybe if he if he you know lands in the rotation this weekend and they maybe move Durangelo back to the bullpen. I don't know. I mean, it, it's again, it's it's. It's April 12th, and we still don't have, a, you know, a, a lockdown rotation, and that's kind of where, we, you know, why we are where we are. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the rotation this weekend. I guess we'll probably find that out tomorrow. I was about to say, as we record this on a Wednesday night, they've not announced the rotation, but just your best guess. What would you guess that the rotation for Mississippi State is this weekend? I would say you're going to see Kate Smith on Friday. I wouldn't be surprised if they move Gartman to Saturday. He's pitched some Saturday games, too. and then. You know, our, our good friend TBA, he's usually the game three guy. I mean, Lamona's a lot of times won't even put out a game three starter. Uh, he'll just kind of figure it out as the weekend goes because, look, we're having to use guys, you know, out of the bullpen every every day. And so it's like whoever has a pitch is usually going to be your game three starter. And that's a terrible position to be in, but it's just one that we're unfortunately in. Uh, but I, w- I would say you can definitely count on Kate Smith on Friday, and you're going to see Landon Gartman either Saturday or Sunday. Um, but I mean, like I said, game three, who knows? It's, it's anybody's guess at this point. I mean, Durangelo is, a, like I said, a special talent. Um, he's going to be a really talented player in this league before he leaves here. Wouldn't be surprised if he's even a first round draft pick before it's all said and done. But, you know, the guy you've asked him to do way too much as an 18 year old freshman in the SEC, and he's kind of hit that wall. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move him back to the bullpen, maybe. Um, but we'll see. We'll see tomorrow, I guess. Heading into the series, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Mississippi State has had a, almost an historically dominant run over Ole Miss in the last seven, eight years of the series. And what was, what's been weird about this year is I would say up until last weekend, I was sitting there thinking, okay, both teams are the two worst teams, like record-wise, the two worst teams in the West. But State felt different. I was like, I don't think Ole Miss is actually that bad, where I was like looking at State and watching them for the first, you know, couple weekends SEC play and even some non-conference. Like, they're definitely worse. They're way worse. This does not look the same. But that changed last weekend, where Ole Miss squanders another home series. They had a golden opportunity to take a series against Arkansas, and they just didn't do it. And State goes on the road and beats Alabama. I was like, okay, maybe they're actually not worse. Maybe Ole Miss actually is the worst team in the West. From an Ole Miss standpoint, like, Colin and I do this show every Sunday – and as the record's gotten worse, we've started to, like, every week I feel like we try to outline a path of, like, okay, well, how do they get back on track and get to 14 wins in the NCAA tournament conversation? And this weekend, now that they're 2-10, and 10, we were finally like, all right, this is just a stupid exercise. They're not doing this. They're, it's 2-10. and 10. They'd have to get to, like, go 13-5 and five just to finish 500, which is a ridiculous ask in the modern SEC, even if you were good and they're not good. From a state perspective, is that, like, is is this weekend viewed as a potential lodging point? Like, I got to imagine to some degree, it's like, all right, you've dominated Ole Miss. 
if you can somehow get two or God forbid, get three, you're now back in the NCAA tournament conversation. How are state fans viewing this weekend in terms of the season outlook? Like we've talked about the making Hoover piece of it. I don't think making Hoover actually means shit other than you're going to use more pitching and then go sit on your ass for the off season. But like how are state fans right. viewing these series? Is there NCAA tournament talks again? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's no question about that. I mean, these next two weeks are the, the biggest two of the week. I mean, you go, you know, three at home against Ole Miss and then three at Auburn who, you know, I don't think Auburn's any good at all. I mean, they have a worse pitching staff ERA than, than we do. So, I mean, it's uh, these next two weekends is really a chance to kind of get back in the thick of things. I think I think most state fans feel like you got to win, you know, both, both of these series to have a realistic chance of even getting back in that discussion. But you also bring up an interesting point, and I, I'd be curious to know what Ole Miss's RPI is, but our RPI is like 25. And so it's like with the strength of schedule that we have, I mean – it may only take, you know, 12, 13 wins in the SEC. Obviously, you got to make Hoover, but maybe you have to win one at Hoover. I mean, 13 wins in the SEC probably gets you in the tournament just because of that strength of schedule. Um, but but it has to start, obviously, this weekend. I, I mean, I, you may not agree with me. I, you may agree, but I feel like this this weekend's really big for both teams. Whoever wins the series, obviously, um, this could propel them in the, in the second half of the SEC season. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. You brought up a great point. The RPIs is what makes this weekend, I would say, different for both teams. Because, as, as again, as I alluded to earlier, where you're trying to make the argument of Ole Miss at 2-10 in the SEC, how in God's name do they get to that 14-16 and 16 mark? They got in last year as the last team in the field at 14-16 and 16 with an RPI, if I remember, like in right around 40, 41, 42. State is different. You're right. If they get to that 13-14 win mark, with that RPI currently at 25, that's going to be a different conversation. Ole Miss, unfortunately, their RPI is at 55. So, like, 14 is probably, as we stand now, again, I'm no bracketologist, it changes, is probably not getting them in. I would say actually definitely not getting them in. So you're honestly talking about a 15-win benchmark for Ole Miss, which makes it an important weekend from the standpoint of, I mean, this sounds ridiculous to say. It's like, can you sweep? Like, That's the only thing really getting them back into the conversation. And so, yes, it's an important weekend for both teams, but I think for different reasons. And I think the RPI is probably somewhat at the center of that. We're saying it's like, all right, all we got to do is get to the 13-14 win threshold. And I'm looking at Ole Miss. I was like, I think they have to get to 15. And at 2, at two and 10, somehow getting to 15 SEC wins just feels <laughs> ridiculous to talk about last couple of things before we get out of here. I want to hit you with some football stuff after that. But one of the things that's been interesting to me is Mississippi state's offense in conference play is actually kind of a top three, four offense in some metrics where Ole Miss has been one of the worst They're Them in Missouri are the worst or the second worst in every single category and pitching being healthy. Ole Miss was going to have to be an offense at the top end of the league to have a chance. So the fact you know, everyone's talking about pitching for Ole Miss, but the fact that they're a bad offense was always going to be no bueno. They were never going to compete with a bad offense. And they're, as the numbers stand, a bad offense. I don't feel like State has been that consistent of an offense all year. I may be off base with that. Has something changed since conference play or has something gotten better? What has made them a better offense? I just thought they were very smoke and mirrors to begin the year. Yeah, well, I think uh, a couple things, actually. I mean, you've had the emergence of a lot of these younger guys that obviously it took a kind of an adjustment period. Uh, we use the code of Jordan as an example. Actually, he went to your alma mater, Jackson Academy, a true freshman. And this is a step you know, down Dakota, for him. <laughs> that's right. Hey, M A I S S E C. It's all the same, right? Absolutely. Uh, but 
<laughs> but no, yeah. So the court, I mean, Dakota, I mean, his first few weekends, he, he just looked out, man. I mean, I, you know, it's just SEC pitching is SEC pitching. You're going to see 95, 96 with a really good curveball. Um, and he just looked out, man. And so he actually was the opening day starter in West Field. And um, obviously, Lamonis, you know, moved him back out of the starting lineup for probably several weeks. Um, the last month, he is on fire. Um, so, I think it's a lot of guys that just kind of they've adjusted with time to SEC pitching. I mean, Colton Ledbetter is another one uh, transfer from Stanford. He's center fielder. He's hitting 341 on the year. I mean, we've got, you know, five or six guys that are hitting 300 in the lineup, which, I mean, we haven't had that in quite a while. Um, Hunter Hines, obviously, he's, you know, he, he'll be an all-SEC player. He's, he's hitting 341 with 14 bombs. I mean, he's a three-hole guy. He's been consistent really all year. Um, and that's really the only thing that's holding this team up. I mean, I, I will, I will say that completely. I mean, it's, you know, it, if this team was not hitting, it would be even worse than three and nine, which is, <laughs> you know, not much room for error there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's the only, it's the only bright spot really. And, and, uh, we'll, we'll see how it continues, but it's, it's been a factor for sure. Last thing on this series, Ren, I want to get some football thoughts from you before I let you go is I'll play the antagonistic role again. Despite like over the last few years, states dominated Ole Miss in this series. Um, it's been, you know, since we were somehow juniors in college or sophomores in college since Ole Miss has won a series against Mississippi State. If Ole Miss were somehow to take two or three this weekend, which I think would probably end up being a moot point from their season, but hey, it keeps them somewhat mathematically alive. From a Sheer Lamonis outlook point of view, how much weight do you put on losing a series to Ole Miss in terms of the heat turning up on him instead of just losing another one two out of three? Yeah, I mean, it definitely wouldn't help. Look, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, both of these programs, a lot factors into how the other one's doing. And I mean, look, Ole Miss won the national championship last year and state went nine and twenty-one. Um you follow that up with this year and, and we're, and we're three and nine. I mean, you, you come out this weekend and you lose two out of three. Um, things really kind of get interesting from here. Um, and, and so it's a big series. I mean, I'm not going to come out and say, Oh my God, he's got to win the series, but keep his job. Nothing crazy like that. But I mean, it's, it, it gets interesting if you drop two out of three this weekend. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, we'll see. That would be so wild. I mean, it would be unprecedented if you, if you moved on from a coach, you know, two years removed from a national title. I actually don't think that's ever happened, but it makes sense. Like it's not a ridiculous thing to say, or it's not a ridiculous move to make. It actually makes sense. So we'll see how it shakes out this weekend. It should just be an absolute, uh, absolute, just a uh, uh, slop fest, I would think, but uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Last couple of things before I let you get out of here. Uh, their state's going through spring ball. I don't know if they're done yet. Ole Miss started a little bit later, but whatever. From the Zach Arnett perspective, you had a very unique set of circumstances, really, it, it, from Mike Leach, unfortunately, passing away. I think at the time, the only move was to promote Zach Arnett. It happened in a very – it's weird to talk about because, obviously, it's a very tragic life situation, but, like, the football aspect of it is very interesting to me because it happened at a weird time. It was the only – thing that made sense they didn't really have an ad at the time how do state fans kind of view the zach arnett era like it's like i don't i hate to compare it to matt luke 
But like how like on the scale of like Matt Luke, I feel like he never really got the benefit of the doubt because people didn't think he was ready for the job. That's obviously not our Nets case because, you know, he was a much hotter like assistant, been a good coordinator at SDSU for a long time, was a great coordinator at Mississippi State for the time he's there. Seems more qualified. How do state fans kind of view the Arnett era? Because it's not a normal, OK, we fired a guy and we not got a new guy in. It's just kind of this had to happen this way. How do state fans kind of view this hire? What does success look like for Arnett? Do you view this as a bridge hire? I'm just curious, like, what's the long-term outlook for the football program? Yeah, uh, really good question there, obviously. And I, look, I mean, obviously, it's just um, – it was one of those deals where it was it was definitely the right move um, promoting him. I mean, just with the tragic passing of Coach Leach, I mean, obviously, the, you know, you're not going to go out and conduct a coaching search after that, um, obviously. And But here's what I'll say about Zach. I mean, he – Many believe that he actually was the head coach in waiting whenever Leach wanted to, you know, hang it up and retire. But um, so, I mean, he turned down several, you know, good, good jobs. I mean, I think he even had maybe a couple G5 coaching jobs that he, he, he turned down. He definitely turned down some other SEC coordinator jobs as well. And so he's had his opportunities. Um, and the fact that he stuck it out, look, I mean, nobody, I mean, State's never been able to, to hold on to a defensive coordinator. I mean, even dating back to the Mullen years, which, you know, they all hated Mullen, obviously. That's why they left. But, um, you know, I, I think that the general consensus is, is among the fan base is people people feel pretty good about it. I mean, obviously, let's just call a spade a spade. It's, his future is going to be – it's going to depend on the offense. I mean, you know, it's – it's um, he brings in Kevin Barbet, who is the, the OC at Appalachian State. So you're getting away from the air raid offense. You're moving more into like a pistol power spread, which obviously, you know, Mullen has a lot of success running the power spread. But, you know, in terms of roster turnover and all that, I mean, it's going to be a totally different philosophy. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and say that the reports from spring are, are that it's uh, it's been a lot of adjusting uh, offensively. I, I don't think it's gone great. And I guess we'll find out in the spring game this weekend. But, um no, all in all, I think people, they like Zach, obviously. He's he's a really good fit. He's really blue-collar here. Um, he's recruiting pretty well. He's, he's a no-nonsense guy. And so I, I think that he's not going to tolerate um, any shenanigans on the offensive side of the ball either. And so, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I would say overall, though, that the, the general consensus is kind of just wait and see. But I feel really good about him, honestly. Um, and, and so we'll we'll see. This is a question just out of pure ignorance, not knowing the inner workings of how Mississippi State works from an administrative standpoint. Why was there no talk at all of, hey, do we run this back with Dan Mullen? <laughs> yeah, I think that ship has sailed uh, with state people, you know. And it's, you know, obviously Mullen, look, I mean, the guy's, what, he got 30, 40 million from Florida and uh, to get to get fired and told he doesn't have to work. Uh, he's moved to his lake house over there outside of Atlanta. Mullen's doing just fine. He's, he's doing broadcasting. Um, I don't even think he wants to get back into coaching, to be completely honest with you. I, I've heard that, you know, once his son got to high school, that he, he just obviously did, didn't want to coach um, and be more involved in, in all of that, being a dad. And so, look, I mean, everybody obviously brought the question up, but I, I just think, you know, obviously that that, that ship has sailed. And, and most state fans, obviously, you know, it, when he left, it was kind of on, on sour terms there. And so it didn't really seem like it was actually a reasonable, you know, possibility of that actually happening. But yeah, it was fun to talk about, you know. 
<laughs> it was a fun pie in the sky storyline. That actually, like, I admire coaches like that. Now, you know, Matt Luke did that, did the thing where like he left. I was very surprised he took the Georgia job as soon as he did, but I honestly saw it as a little bit of like a healing coping mechanism. He does that, he wins the national title, and then he's like, wait a minute, I got a bunch of buyout money still coming from Ole Miss. You know, I'm an eight-figure millionaire for a long time. I'm actually good. I'm just gonna hang out and enjoy my life. Like <laughs> I, I'm not actually yeah, I mean, gonna work the- 70 hour work weeks and you know my entire livelihood hinge on four quarters of football on Saturdays. Like I'm actually just gonna be a rich guy and enjoy this. That like makes me like coaches more. The I the fact that Mullen has turned into Look, I'm not going to call him a media darling, but he's kind of interesting to listen to him talk to. I'd say that's the upset of the century because most of the time he's at state, I was like, this is the biggest asshole on earth. I would not have thought he got into the media space. That surprised you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. I mean, I, I, when I heard he was, you know, ESPN and hired on the Cone broadcast, I was like, well, well, this makes no sense at all. I mean, he's one of the most abrasive guys out there. Uh, there's no way he's going to be charming enough to be a broadcaster. And sure enough, he's, he's flipped the switch. I mean, the guy's happy as can be. I mean, you know, he's always on Instagram posting pictures of his lake house and on the golf course. I mean, he's living a living a pretty tough life, you know, still getting paid by Florida, doesn't have to deal with the stress and all he's got to deal with. And if you're him, why would you get back into coaching? You know, you got plenty of money. Um, what's what's the point of putting yourself through all that, you know? Is there a column to be written about how Dan Mullen was misunderstood? Because we mentioned that as big of an upset as he is. I, there was something a couple of years ago, one of those stupid sites like Saturday down South or something like ranked like the coaches you'd want to have a beer with or something. And like Mullen tongue in cheek took offense to him being ranked lower on it. And he kind of made like a halfway funny <laughs> case of like, wait, he's like, Hey, I'm actually kind of fun. Like I'm not, I'm not the worst to be around, but like from an inside the program perspective at base level, it seemed like he was kind of an ass. Like that's just kind of how he operated. That's how he operated. He's a Northeaster. He's hard nosed. Is Dan Mullen misunderstood at all? <laughs> No, I, I would say he's not misunderstood at all. What you see is what you get. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. I, I think, you know, obviously there's going to be a day here where, where Dan Mullen's brought back here to be recognized. I mean, the guy was a hell of a coach. He took us to new heights. Um, but his departure rubbed many people the wrong way. And I'm talking top down, all the way at the top, all the way to every fan. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I mean, the next year he came back to Starkville with Florida was one of the most surreal days i'll ever remember as a state fan just dan mullen walk you know running out of the same locker room he was in the, the previous year to just boo birds sixty thousand people just booing at the top of their lungs and it's like two years ago this uh, this guy took us to number one in the country it's like it, it just it was so surreal but no he, he definitely is not misunderstood i mean the guy is a great football coach but uh what you see is what you get with dan mullen Perfect answer to wrap up the pod. Not misunderstood, Dan Mullen, just a freer Dan Mullen. This is a ton of fun, my man. I really appreciate it. And, hey, maybe next time both programs are 2-10, and 10, we'll do this again. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks again for having me. This was a blast. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Appreciate John's time. As always, good catching up with an old friend. We'll be back at it on Sunday with Colin Brister, then probably some football stuff with Weldon next week, and then uh, got some random interviews coming up. Uh, for you that I think you'll enjoy. But uh, anyway, we'll be back at it with more next week. Y'all have a wonderful weekend.